Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Glorious Rugby Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Fitzpatrick, and joining me for each and every single episode, none other than Alistair Kirsch, Pool AKP. How's it going, man? It's going well. We've got a we've got a fun interview lined up. That's this right. week. That's right. Special guest. Who's our always love guest? guest episode? Always fun to have have new people on the podcast. You don't have to just listen to to me and John. That's right. That's right. AKP. What? Who's the Who's the guest? Who did we talk to? Well, we have a very special guest this time. It's none other than co-owner of Old Glory DC, Chris Dunleavy. Thank you for joining us on the Glorious Rugby podcast, Chris. It's great to have you on. Uh, I appreciate the invitation. I, I uh, listen to you guys myself and really appreciate the work you do. Uh, I think you're, you're surprisingly uh, insightful without having me as a, a mole inside the organization to feed you info. So um, really uh, respect the work you guys do. Well, the insights come from Alistair. I just bring some, some entertainment value, if any. But yeah, <laughs> no, don't listen to him. John's the qualified one. I mean, <laughs> rugby morning newsletter, fantastic. I'm just some guy. Well, you're uh, you're both very good at what you do, at least at least here. Okay, well, I wanted to start off the questions with something pretty topical. Um, the news came out that Damien Hoyland is practicing with his old club in Edinburgh and isn't practicing with old glory right now is there anything any light you can shed on that situation i mean is he going to be in t- here in time for the season for one thing yeah so um damien is just one of those circumstances that happens from time to time uh he is coming uh he will be here uh i have every confidence he's going to be here in time for the season um although actually as you point out um uh, they're they're making good some good use of his time uh while he's still uh, in edinburgh um, but this is just one of those um, uh, uh, issues of working through the U.S. Customs and Immigration Service uh, processes. Call it a visa glitch or or delay. Um, uh, that's really all we've got underway right now, and that that happens uh, a lot with some of these players. You know, we you would think by now we'd have it really down like clockwork. Um, when we sign a player, getting their, their visa secured and, and getting them uh, in, in country before preseason training starts so that everybody's here doing things together. Um, but it just, you know, particularly now, USCIS is uh, facing a lot of challenges with, with immigration issues and every case is just a little bit different and something funny pops up here or there. So that's all that's happening is we're, we're working through that. Um, and uh, fortunately, that's a player of the kind of uh, experience and talent and caliber um, that we're, we're not worried about how much he's missing, um, particularly since he is training with Edinburgh and, and uh, um, you know, uh, playing, playing a high level of rugby over there uh, while we get this worked out. Great. Well, that's a relief to, to fans to, to hear that. Um, so looking forward to his addition when he comes. And let's let's talk a little bit about last season, uh, culminated in a first playoff appearance and then a first playoff win in club history. You had fans traveling up to New York and New England, bust up there. AKP was on both, uh, yep. which was a lot of fun. Chris, what were your emotions during those those two weeks of, of the playoffs? And then, you know, when did you get a sense that something special was happening last year? Yeah, it was a funny season, in part because 
it was such a rebound season from our, our previous year. I and mean, we had a tough year in 2022. Um, uh, and, you know, that was not only a, did we hit um, a, a run of, of uh, poor performances on, on the pitch and a bad record, but ended up going through the coach transition and, and moving toward our future. And um, when, when we did that, we really um, uh, came around to focusing on uh, the, the value uh, of each of our players on the roster and, and making sure that we were strategically putting together uh, a, a team that um, was, was going to be better value for money, if you will. Um, and that, that meant uh, that would enable us to start to build a long-term core uh, of players, guys who are going to be able to keep around a while and, and, and be the leaders of this club and, and grow them. And I think it was relatively early in 23 that we started feeling like, okay, that worked. We've, we've got, we've got a group here that if we keep these guys playing together consistently and begin to uh, add pieces around them that can really enhance, particularly at the, the more skill focused positions, then, then we've got something good here. We did view that as a, a multi-year plan, meaning, you know, I don't think we um, did what so many MLR teams do and sort of try to build a team to go get one championship without expecting that they're really going to keep all those players around the next year. We focused much more on, on building a core that we were going to keep around and grow year by year. Um, and I, I think, you know, it was a little bit nerve wracking going through the season because we didn't perform so strongly that we felt, you know, we, were, we weren't at the top of the table for, for most of the, most of the season. Um, and as we got later in the season, uh, we, we realized we still had a shot at it by, by playoff time. And that's when I started to get really excited. I was like, you know, the, uh, just the way the table's shaken out, we've got a chance of being one of those top spots. We can just get in there and, and maybe make a little noise. Then, uh, it will have been a great year. And of course, it's exactly what happened. You know, we, we managed to uh, get in. And once we did, I, I developed a confidence pretty quickly that, that we could go into New York and, and really come out uh, with, with a well-earned W, which is exactly what we did. Um, and I think, you know, looking back, um, the, the disappointment of every loss that happened along the way is kind of washed away by the fact that we, we made it in. Uh, made a great run, uh, played a couple of great games, and ended up only only one game away from the championship uh, game. Um, so I I'm definitely feeling. You know, of course, everybody's always, you know, in, in preseason, everybody's a champion, right? Um, but but I'm I'm feeling very optimistic that we have uh, taken a another step forward. Again, you know, they um, uh, this year. Um, we're continuing to build that core of players, guys that are here on multi-year contracts, focusing on, on domestic and, and um, domesticatable uh, 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 players um, and, and adding some really impressive uh, additions uh, to that as we go. So I'm, I'm, we're, we're really excited about this year. We really are. Would you say you've got what would you say are your expectations for this year? I mean, you sort of went over them there a bit, but like, you know, making it to the playoffs again, making it to the, the championship game, like where, what are you talking? And especially like as an organization, where are you, are you setting the goal is like, this is, this what is what it means to have a successful season this year. 
Yeah. So, um, I, one, I think we will want to see more consistent play uh, out of our guys week in, week out. Um, I, I, uh, um, I think that the level of excellence we wanted to deliver to the greater Washington area uh, would suggest that we're, we're more consistently at or near the top of the table in the thick of the hunt throughout the course of the season. And, and we're not dependent on um, good luck or losses by others to, to get us in, in position. Uh, I expect we are going to make the playoffs and I expect we're going to uh, make a run. I'd be foolish to guarantee the championship game or, or uh, uh, winning that because there are so many things that, that go into uh, you know the, the the small margins of difference that that really drive the outcomes at that at that elite level. Uh, but we're going to be we're going to be deep in the thick of the conversation this year and and making a lot of noise. And we we will uh, get into the playoffs and and see uh, see how far we can run there. Chris, number of <clears throat> excuse me, number of uh, new changes going into this year, which is exciting. Starting off with a uh, new head coach, right? Simon Cross uh, yes. locked up to a long-term deal, uh, which is great. Um, what 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 is it about Scott that excited uh, you and Paul, or Simon? Excuse me. What was it about Simon that excited you and Paul, bringing him on board? Uh, um, yeah, the first thing is we were we we had um, given Simon consideration previously back in when we uh, hired um, Josh Sims, and and um, uh, one of the good things. Um, about when, when Josh took an offer to, to, to move on to uh, coach in, in the URC uh, was that we had some fresh candidates in the pool we had just been recruiting from who we had been pretty excited about and, and really only sort of um, by the luck of the draw didn't become our head coach at the time. And, and Simon was one of those. He, he uh, you know, is very heavily associated with the Scottish rugby uh, system, both as a former player um, and then some, some of his coaching activity, although he had been uh, the defense coach with the Newport Gwent Dragons in, in Wales uh, when we hired him. Um, and, and I think the, the idea of a, a strongly defensive-minded coach who had the, 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 the background of having been a, a Scottish international and, and played at the highest level, uh, he, he got a very strong vote of confidence out of our, our Scottish rugby partners. Um, and, and I think when I talk about the need for consistency and developing a core of guys over time that really become cohesive, um, that's very much around the, the defensive game, meaning that's, that's, what, that's what keeps you uh, consistent is, is playing good defense. Um, and uh, Simon has... Uh, he made the case to us before we hired him that he was going to be very focused on being the kind of teacher um, that could bring all the players from a, a diverse set of backgrounds uh, to the same level of performance in that in that defensive game, and that that was going to keep us in every game we're in. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing develop in, in training. Um, I, I guess I could say there's there may be a little bit risk that it'll be a little less hair raising and a little less exciting than, than some of our games have been. But I think um, uh, our fans and, and our players will be able to approach each game with more confidence that it's going to be in hand and, and we're going to have <clears throat> a good shot at, at uh, being on the right end of the scoreboard uh, at the end. You know, there were so many games. I, I don't mean to drone on on this stuff, but 
get excited about our rugby team. <laughs> Just remember the number of games we had where um, we found ourselves going down early and, and having a fight back from behind. And, and both in 20 and, and excuse me, in uh, 22 and, and 23. Um, and I think that's, that's the kind of dynamic that um, Simon's approach will uh, help to get us over the hump. Of, you know, that we'll, we'll much more consistently be uh, in the lead or, or close enough that we're not, we're not fighting back out of a hole. And uh, that made a difference in so many of our regular season games last year. So, I mean, we sort of sideways mentioned the uh, the long-term deal there, but how important was it for you to get him on a long-term deal? Because obviously Old Glory's had a quite a lot of turnover in coaches recently. I mean, there was a, there was a like, what, 18-month stretch there where there were three different coaches for the team. I think right. it was less than that. It was like a year-long stretch where there was... So, so talk about the the sort of multi year aspect of that. Yeah, I rugby fifteens, at least in my view, is all about cohesion and and uh, players understanding each other, understanding how they're going to move together, um, uh, being ready for the kind of innovation that another player has to do to make something happen on the pitch, and and knowing how to be there and support each other, and that that doesn't happen in a single preseason training period. Uh, it really, I think, takes years to develop uh, on a team that, that establishes a real winning ethos and a, 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 a commitment to responsibility to one another. Um, so in fact, not only do we sign uh, Simon to uh, a, a three-year contract, but uh, you know a number of those players I talked about for our first time, we're signed this last year to, to not just one, but two and three year uh, contracts with uh, options to extend because uh, we, we really do feel like we've got the right set of guys uh, to, to build around. Um, but that uh, cohesion only really comes when they when they work together a, a number of years. Um, so we we think we are on a plan to get better and better every year for the next few. And, uh, you know, what happens on the pitch will tell us whether we're, we're right or not. But, but we think we've got the right plan to, to do that. And some longevity and consistency in how we do things is key to that. Yeah, and speaking about on the pitch and even just longevity, uh, exciting new change now. Uh, new home venue, right? Moving across the river, so to speak, into Maryland at the Maryland Soccer Plex. Talk about what... Um, went into that decision to change venues and you know, what are some of the exciting things fans can expect about the Maryland soccer plex and just the, the atmosphere and the environment around Oklahoma DC home games this season? Yeah. So I, I will say um, we're um, we believe in being uh, transparent and, and candid with our fans. And I'll say a large impetus of the move was financial um, getting a, a frankly a, a better, um, uh, tenant deal and uh, at the uh, soccerplex than we had uh, had at our previous venue. In a bigger picture sense, though, um, you know we we uh, everybody knows we we started uh, at our founding playing games in D.C. Uh, I won't get into the details of why, but COVID basically kicked us out of the city um, when when it, and and it made it the the recovery period made it close to impossible to get. To a venue that was sized right for us back in the city, um, so we've been 
um, obliged to uh, invite our fans out to suburban locations. Um, and uh, I think the, the one we've been at the last couple of years made it more difficult for some of our fans, particularly on the Maryland side of the river, to access and, and get to our game. So we're hopeful that although it was primarily a financial move, that um, we'll see some uh, some some groups of our fans get better opportunity to, to come to the venue than did last year. There were some limitations on the location we've been in that, that maybe alleviated uh, a good bit here. Uh, more importantly, though, if if uh, I, I knew you guys did, but if any of those listening uh, managed to get out to the soccer plex last spring when the CRC uh, tournament was was held out there, I don't need to explain to you how how much there's a, a great rugby vibe out there. Um, they uh, for the first time they really equipped the, the facility well to host rugby and the collegiate championships were, were played there. Um, despite uh, an absolute deluge of rain uh, on one of the days, uh, the field, which is natural grass, drained uh, very well and was very playable throughout the rest of the tournament. Uh, boy, getting our guys on grass, not just our, our players, but, but our visiting teams in MLR, that's important. That's a big step up. We've never had that at our home venue here in D.C. before. It's all been uh, artificial turf, and it's better for the players health-wise and, and better for the game, in my view, for, for us to be playing on grass. On top of that, the, the venue is it's a very graceful venue, and as you guys know, I'm kind of in the business of, of sports facility development. And um, what I love about the Soccerplex is that the um, uh, it, it's a uh, one of those venues that when you enter, you enter at concourse level and the field is, is a number of feet below you and the seating bowl goes down to the venue, which also means that that concourse can, can wrap the venue a full 360 degrees, and when you're on it, you are just as connected to the seating bowl, to the game, to everything going on, um, as you are when you're in your seats themselves. And that's not the case at a number of other venues. You know, with the seating, if the seating, if the field is at ground level and the seat goes up vertically from there, then when you're on a concourse, you're separated from from the connectivity to the field, and uh, it's harder to maintain that whole community vibe. You know, at at, at this venue. You know, if you're online for a beer, uh, you can still be watching the game while and and you know engaging in it and and talking with other fans and and being part of the whole community thing. So that plus the fact it's it's uh, uh, been around for a little while that the trees are uh, a little more mature and give a little shade. They're nice. Uh, grassy knolls where we hope we're going to be able to uh, let people buy, you know, a, a picnic area seat uh, rather than having to be in the seating. I, th I think it's going to have more of what our fans recognize as the, the, the vibe of, of rugby um, than, than we've been able to have in a while. So we're really looking forward to all that and uh, making plans to, to put together a great uh, game day presentation for each game and uh, getting getting very excited about that too. Yeah, well, that was some of the the positive news from the off season, but obviously for MLR overall, it's been been a little shakier. Multiple teams having financial troubles and and either collapsing or or moving. And 
you know, you and and Paul released a letter to the the fans talking about you know the stability of of Old Glory and what your plans are for the future and particularly plans for a a new venue and a new um, home stadium that that you're planning on building within the beltway is there is there anything you can elaborate on about that so yes i i would say this the first is um i am in the business of helping to develop sports facilities in my my day job and the things everyone needs to keep in mind are one that's generally a relatively slow gestating uh process um and uh you know particularly in a city as uh, vibrant and and as uh, economically healthy uh, as DC is as a whole uh, real estate's expensive uh, land resources are scarce uh, finding big areas of space to, to put a, a venue is difficult um, and and that's uh, part of the reason why we haven't had good opportunities uh, not only within the district but even you know in and around the beltway or, or on the metro rail system. Uh, to, to develop new venue. Um, however, we have so consistently heard uh, from our fans. I mean, it's probably the single biggest line of feedback we get that people would like to see us in the district, uh, not just because we're a DC team uh, and, and it's the DC name, um, but people, uh, an awful lot of people live here and play rugby here and, and uh, uh, do so because of the, the vibrancy of, of the city and uh, uh, that's the environment that they, they want to be part of. So we've never lost sight of that. Um, now I think um, if, if the Maryland Soccer Plex works out as well we think it's going to, um, we're not going to feel in a rush to, to leave it. Um, I, I think it's going to be an outstanding facility for us and I could see us being there uh, for some period of time. Um, but that is in part because it, 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 the idea of getting back into the district is going to take some time. Um, however, we have always had our eye on that. We have always been maintaining discussions around that, um, and they are active uh, as we speak. Um, and that's with multiple um, uh, landowning entities in and around the district um, that represent options for us, either um, because they, they have a need of their own to develop a, a venue for their own reasons, uh, or they understand why a partnership with us to, to do that would be, would be valuable. Um, so we're working on it. I'm, I'm, um, you know, I neither want to give the impression that we're in a hurry to leave the soccerplex, nor do I want to give the impression that, um, you know, we're, we're, we're not focused on the long-term future. I, I think, I do think our long-term success, and we are about a long-term sustainable business here, our long-term success is going to depend on, in part on us, us having our own venue that's truly a, a, a rugby venue and is in a place where uh, our fan base doesn't find it challenging to, to get to in any way, and that it's uh, uh, an easily accessible and, and uh, fan-friendly location. Yeah, and Chris, to kind of piggyback off what you said there in terms of you know, talking about the 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 long term 
viability, sustainability of OGDC. In that letter to fans, there was a line in there that really piqued my interest in trying to quote it verbatim, but essentially the most commercially successful club in MLR history based on revenue from, from partnerships and sponsors. And given the tumultuous offseason with a couple of, unfortunately, a couple of clubs folding from MLR, but certainly two coming back on, you know, what can you tell or how can you reassure OGDC fans that what's being built here uh, is going to stick around, say, for the long haul? Yeah, I think there are different components of that. One is how good a business are we building? How sustainable uh, a business plan have we created and, and, and are we implementing? Um, and then the other is just what is the quality and depth of the ownership group? Meaning whatever happens with your, your business plan, um, are you able to sustain the ups and downs and, and uh, have people uh, stand behind it? Um, and, and I think on, on both those fronts, um, we are really in a strong position and fundamentally different from some of the clubs in an MLR that have, have had more challenges and the ones that, that went by the wayside. Um, you know, uh, since we uh, first founded at Old Glory back in, 2019, we initiated our first uh, exhibition season uh, with a series of, of partners that we had assembled uh, during that, that uh, pre-development period, whom you will notice have almost entirely stayed with us for every year uh, since we opened our doors. And we, we have been consistently um, the highest uh, revenue team in MLR from from corporate partnerships uh, since the outset, and um, I'm I'm hopeful will remain so this year. Our partners have not only remained with us, but they have generally uh, uh, grown their relationships with us over time. Um, and of course, we've we've added uh, to that along the way. And I'm talking about the Cuisine Solutions and now ECS, formerly uh, Iron Vine uh, Security and Lidos and uh, the supply room and and um, all the other uh, great partners who have uh, stood by us um, because they understand what we're trying to do here. They understand the the value of of rugby in the spectrum of professional sports, uh, of which we have a wealth in this area, um, and they've just been very aligned with us in our our mission since the outset. And I don't I don't think that's that's going anywhere. And of course, you know. That's, that's one of a few key forms of stable revenues. Um, you know, ticket sales and selling beer and food at your uh, venue and even, even merchandise uh, tend to fluctuate a lot more with year by year with how your attendance goes and what your one loss record is and that kind of thing. So those are very important revenue streams, but they, they do tend to have more fluctuation to them. It's your corporate partnerships and then ultimately as you develop them your media rights that are going to be the sort of the core um, uh, solid base of, of revenue and we've just always been stronger in that than, than most of the teams in the league and it's it's a credit to the, the partners that, that have, have come to support us. Um, and then there's the ownership group itself which since our inception uh, when Paul and I Paul Sheehy and I first decided to do this. It's been our intent to uh, grow our ownership group to both diversify 
um, the, the range of sources where, where funding comes from when we need it. Um, so it's not just one guy or two guys putting their hands in their pockets, but there's some diversity of, of those sources. Um, and it didn't actually occur to me until this year, but that also puts in place a certain kind of natural longevity, meaning, you know, we lost one team this year because an owner passed away and didn't really have a succession plan in place. And that doesn't happen as easily when you've got five or six owners and, and uh, you know, all with, with a, a, a commitment to, to the team. So, and, and we are as actively as we cultivate our corporate partners, we also cultivate our investment group. So you have been seeing that grow over time. Um, we're in a terrific conversation with a really strong uh, group right now that I'd also like to say we'll be bringing into the mix this year that I think will, people will find a really interesting story. Um, they can't all be quite as fun as Earth, Wind, and Fire, but, you know. <laughs> but it, it, it'll be another uh, good group that I think will really resonate with people. And, um, you know, if you've got those two things, if you've got uh, good corporate partners and you've got a good solid ownership group that has some sustainability, then, then you can feel very good about the future, um, at least as much as anybody can in, in professional sports. Um, so we're, we're very uh, confident and, and glad to be among one of the more stable elements in, in the league, which will continue to grow. Um, you know, they, when we first got signed on um, back in 2018, 2019, the, the commissioner of the league at the time told us, you know, it's a young, growing league. We've seen others do this, and you are going to lose some clubs along the way. You know, they're just not all going to be able to, to make it. And, of course, it's exactly what happened. And as, as surprising and uh, disappointing as that uh, feels when it does happen, uh, you know it's going to, practically speaking. Um, and the important thing is that the league maintains a good collaborative partnership that as a whole can keep moving forward. And I think that's where we are. I think we've got um, a, a stronger group of, of partners today than, than we ever have. And, and I feel very good about the league's direction. Well, speaking of uh, partnerships and, and sort of working towards the future, one of the big, and expansion, I guess, one of the, the big announcements this, this off season and coming as something of a surprise was um, Anthem Rugby Carolina, which for those of you who haven't been keeping up with the news, is a sort of joint project between World Rugby, USA Rugby, and and MLR to have a team of mostly young U.S. qualified players playing in MLR to to get them time and experience. But you know, for us as fans, that that really came out of nowhere, and I don't think there's still a lot of details about. You know, how did that even happen in the first place? Like, what were what were those conversations like that that we just don't know yet? So, I was hoping you could give us a bit of perspective as an owner in the MLR to to how that all came to be and sort of your perspective on it as a, an MLR owner. Yeah, happy to, to to chat about that a little bit. I, it may surprise you to know it, it came together really quickly and. Um, it, it didn't surprise the ML owners quite as much as it surprised the general public, but it, it still came really quickly. Um, but that was on the, the heels of what had been uh, a couple of years of conversation between USA Rugby, World Rugby, 
and Major League Rugby about how the three of us were going to collaborate together to prepare North America for the Rugby World Cup in 2031 and 2033 uh, with the knowledge that um, you know those are among the greatest sports tournaments in the world uh, but with rugby being uh, something of a niche uh, sport in the U.S. that for us all to uh, get the full value out of what those events should be, that we've got some work to do to prepare our market for it, that we need uh, more people than we have today who care about rugby, who uh, appreciate what the sport is all about, who uh, love some of the international uh, flavor and, and culture uh, around the sport, um, and they'll want to get excited about it. And um, that is tied, we think, at least this is here my personal opinion is, I think Americans only really uh, care deeply about a sport uh, if, if they can see that Americans uh, compete in it uh, uh, credibly and effectively. And um, I have such tremendous admiration for USA Rugby and, and what the Eagles' uh, history has been and the direction they're trying to go in. But I think we are all agreed that, um, you know, that the Eagles need to make the, the, the tournament um, and, and need to compete credibly for us to have success in getting the, the, the market, the huge United States market to, to care uh, about rugby. Um, so um, for a few years now, excuse me, a couple of years now, we've been uh, talking about how those three parties together are going to cultivate the market and, and uh, really get it um, to the point where we're ready to have a tremendously successful Rugby World Cup uh, tournament, um, both the men's and, and the women's. And um, that that took a lot of different forms as there were some shifting dynamics. And, um, you know, that that's that's why, you know, we, we still got today in, in North America, you know, there's, there's a, um, you know, one foot in, in, Glendale and, and uh, you know, MLR is doing uh, its own thing and, and taking our direction. Um, and I think um, it was only in, in recent months that the discussion came together that it was uh, important enough to get um, a, a, focused, a focus on the development of the um, uh, up and coming players who were uh, domestic players who, who, who were qu enough quality players that they were on MLR rosters but weren't getting enough uh, playing time um, and not enough minutes to really develop the kind of time and cohesion that um, was necessary. Um, so um, the, uh, uh, that was why the decision was made to, to put this together. I think um, what was happening with some other MLR teams at the time and the fact that we, we lost uh, a couple in pretty rapid succession actually kind of opened the opportunity for for this to be uh, stepped into a, a little more quickly. Um, but I think it's it is a sense that it's it's the right thing to do to um, really begin a focused development program. Um, you know how successful will this be in in developing more young American rugby talent? I don't know, but to me the best thing about it is it it made it clear that. Um, uh, the three partners that need to work together can come together and create a great initiative. Um, and this will just be the first of a number of investments you'll see uh, those three partners working together on in the next few years to, to not only improve um, 
uh, MLR, uh, excuse me, USA Rugby's performance, but really uh, get the market ready. Chris, a couple of questions left here. And speaking of the Ben's Eagles, just looking at the Oak Glory DC roster, we've got a number on, got a number of players on the roster, a couple other guys in that wider training pool. AKP, this is our job. We're going to look ahead a little bit here and speculate, but there's some conflicts, if you will, around the MLR playoffs that, that mm -hmm. you know, test window in July and August, making us a little nervous. You know, how's the club preparing for that, uh, that scenario? Yeah, well, I will, I will say the, the um, you know, it, Eagles playing on any MLR team are going to have a busier year this year. Than, than they have in a while. It is all about getting the more top quality international competition, getting them playing together, developing that cohesion and, and growing as a team as well as individual players. Um, the fact that there is going to be some overlap in, in the overall uh, time frame of, of MLR's playoffs and, and the international window it is, I think it's, it's gonna make it up, uh, it's gonna make it hard work for, for, for those players. Um, that said, you know, the league is going to work out making sure that we've got no direct conflicts. You're not going to uh, hear about things like, you know, an Eagle having to decide whether he's going to play for the U.S. or play for his, uh, you know, uh, uh, MLR team's uh, playoff run. Um, so it's th th that specific scheduling is going to get sorted. But it's going to be a busy year, not just a summer window, but there's going to be a fall international window as well. And, and you know, I know USA is – really planning to get uh, the Eagles as much top quality game time as they can. Um, so uh, um, it'll, you know, it'll be the kind of heavy lift that they need to make to, to get the kind of improvement we're talking about. Should make for a lot of very exciting and fun games to watch though. Okay. Well, I think we've taken enough of your time here, Chris. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I mean, that's a, a lot of really great information, a lot of, really interesting insight. I mean, it's one of those things that we can, we can talk as, as fans about, you know, our perspective on the club, but there's, there's really stuff we can't see without, without you sharing that insight. So I'm, uh, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. Great. Happy to join you guys and uh, keep up the great work. You guys do a terrific job. Thanks. Thank you. All right, everyone. That was our interview with Chris Dunlavey, AKP, a lot of a lot to unpack from that interview. A lot of great insight on a state of the union, if you will, of Old Glory DC heading into this new season. Maybe that's the episode title. I don't know. But um, AKP, what are your initial thoughts? What's stuck out to you from the interview? I think it's, you know, after a chaotic offseason, it's always nice to hear just how much the team is planning for the future and how much stability matters to them as as an ownership group i mean you heard about it on the field making sure that that players are sticking around for a long time with with multi-year contracts making sure the coach is sticking around and in it for the long term and off the field making sure that they've got a, a robust ownership group and and thinking ahead you know they're they're clearly planning years down the line what they're what they want to do and you know it's just it's heartwarming to hear that after the after the off season we've had. So, yeah, yeah. I think the the operative word that I would use um, is encouraging. Right to to your point yes. about the off season that we had, it's it's encouraging to hear the 
from everything from on the field to off the field, just the long term approach, right? That we're going to slowly build this thing up and, and do it right. So on field approach, right? Like focus in on improving our defense and making sure that old glory DC is, is in every game or isn't like scrambling at the end of games that we're either winning or in, in a position to win. So, yeah, I mean, if we can get that win total up into the double digits, then yeah, we're building something here. So I'm very encouraged by that, that, that effort, you know, that approach on, on defense and what Simon Cross is, is bringing in them off the field, right? The, the long-term business decisions that are being made in terms of new ownership coming in um, from the, the long-term, the renewals, right. Of the, of the sponsors uh, who are bringing in, you know, revenue that, you know, the lifeblood of keeping this all going, encouraged to hear that all of that is, is going really well. And, you know, Hey, just, you know, just thinking about the future again, excited for the Maryland soccer plex. You know, I think that's going to be a great venue and excited to see what is beyond that. If, anything is beyond that, right? <laughs> Quote, unquote, a new stadium. So um, fortunate to hear that stuff from Chris. And I don't know, man, I'm ready to ready to go out and play right now. Yeah, it does make me excited for the season. I'm, I'm definitely, definitely optimistic. And, and especially, I mean, it's always fun to watch people score a lot of points, but there's something satisfying about a, a good defense where you just, you don't let anyone through. And that, uh, and like you said, I mean, that's it's really where the the strength of teams come from is is you know there's no point scoring points if you can't stop the other person scoring points. So, I it, it does it feels like we're set up well for you know potentially a run this year and and especially into the future some years of good performance and not having to to worry about whether the team's going to be doing well week to week or season to season. Yeah, absolutely. You know, AKP was one thing I, I forgot to ask Chris, and maybe this can be our, our, our closing segment, but given the connection to the Scottish rugby union, this is a two part question for you. AKP should France have been, sorry, should Scotland have been awarded a try at the end of that <laughs> France match? <laughs> yes or no? Um, no. That's biased because you're English. Because your no, English connection. I was actually I was watching this with my my sibling, and we were who is actually a a referee, um, okay. a rugby referee, and we were talking about it, and it it really comes down to the fact that it was it was called held up on the on the field, and like those camera angles, it was it wasn't clear, and you know you just gotta. The thing is, no call is going to be perfect. You're never. I mean, it's it's beneath a whole pile of gigantic bodies. Like you, you have no way of objectively verifying what's happening. And so, I think about it like in uh, in tennis, they've got computer systems that call in or out, and and you know they they track the ball and they have a fun graphic that shows you exactly where it bounced. Except it's not actually exact. There's there's a reasonably there's a reasonable margin of error on it. But because it's random and, you know, no one team is getting an advantage, you know, no one player is, is sort of getting an unfair advantage out of it. They've all, we all just sort of accept it as fact in tennis that like, you know, yeah, maybe there's a, a chance that the computers were wrong, but it's just not worth worrying about. You just take whatever the computer says and move on. And, you know, rugby doesn't have that. It's all subjective, but 
you know, at a certain point, you just have to say, like, if it's that close, then, like, yeah, maybe France got away with one there. But, you know, if Ireland had scored, then... Or Scotland? Scotland. Yeah, if Scotland had scored, um, they they would have been getting away with one, too. Like, you know, if they didn't want to lose, they shouldn't have been, you know, down by four points right at the end of the, the game. They shouldn't have been relying on a last try. And, you know, that try was was maybe held up the but they they nearly got held up the the push before that so mm-hmm. it's you're right on the edge of like okay right very, right on the random edge and like, a very nuanced answer the correct answer is yes scotland should have been awarded to try moving on so my next question to you <laughs> is then um who's going to win the calcutta cup this year i think it's going to be england And that does it for this episode of the Glorious Rugby (laughs) Podcast, AKP. Er, 0 for 2 on both of his answers. Both questions wrong. wrong. I have reasons for that one, too. Um, I think Scotland can win it, but, like, they have this problem where they play, like, 20, 30 minutes of great rugby right at the beginning, and then they, they sort of play like they're doing some backyard throw the ball around between friends and don't really seem to take it seriously and then like a few minutes before the end of the match go oh my goodness wait we're still playing a professional or like a <laughs> tier one international test that 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 counts for something we better better take this seriously again and like it nearly bit them with wales it did bite them with france like until i see something different from them like are they going to be able to 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 put England away in that you know and France is messy right now mm-hmm. and you know Wales is is a young and and kind of a a trash fire of an organization at the moment so you know England may be a little bit more p- put together you know maybe they don't they aren't as easy to to deal with that way for Scotland so that's that's my reasoning i think Scotland can win they just need to take the whole game seriously okay 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 Still over two, but that's okay. Um, we still we've got another week. Nuance, round three. but wrong. <laughs> Nuance, but wrong. Great answer, but F. Um, yeah, um, <laughs> we still got a week before you know round three. So you know, obviously, we'll touch on it next week. Um, but again, thank you, Chris, for coming on to answer some of our questions. Uh, very excited for the the twenty twenty four MLR season and OGDC. And it's great to hear that Damian Hoyland is on his way and will be yeah. here for. Uh, the start of the season so that's that's great news but for my co-host Alistair Kirschpool I am John Fitzpatrick you've been listening to the Glorious Rugby Podcast we'll catch you back here next week <laughs>